The Diplomacy Dojo is a weekly discussion led by your board brother about diplomacy tactics and strategies. Let's listen in on what our players are discussing this week. All right, Chris, thanks for making it to the Diplomacy Dojo. I'm really glad to have you here. For the benefit of our listeners, this is an arranged episode, not just a folks showing up and talking about what they want to talk about, but we actually have a plan. Right. We have a plan on uh, some topics that we like to go over. We've gone back and forth for a little bit. Let's begin. Okay. So I, I, I just wanted to kind of like talk today or reach out and just see what your thoughts were on something that I've been thinking about for quite a while. Um, I've been playing diplomacy actually for not that long, like for a couple of years. But ever since I started playing, I've been giving a lot of thought to not just the tactics and the general kind of like opening moves and things like that, but also what it is that makes um, diplomacy, the actual uh, negotiating so powerful in the game. So I've focused a lot more on like what the people, how, how the people influence or how the, how the interplay between people influences the outcome of the game, basically. And how you can, how you can work. I, I for the most part, play press. Nearly all of my gaming is online. Um, Every once in a while, I get really lucky and I can play a live game with some friends, but that's tough to put together, <laughs> especially a full-size one. Anyway, so <laughs> for the most part, it's, it's online, so it's a lot of press, and I, I've just been trying to figure that out. What's the psychological warfare aspect, basically, to the game, um, besides the, the more overt or uh, direct kind of warfare? And for my part, uh, as I've played, I've played diplomacy for quite a long time now, and I increasingly think of the psychological aspect of the game as almost the entire game. And that uh, although there are some rules that a player has to master, and there's some some tactical things that you might have to know in order to not blow it at an important moment, that information plays a relatively small role in predicting, in my, my opinion, in predicting the outcome of matches, especially press diplomacy. Right. To the point where um, I, I realized only maybe a year ago that um, Munich actually cannot be stalemated from the south by itself. I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I played diplomacy for something like nine years, and uh, that I just didn't realize it. And I was pretty good. <laughs> and so it's kind of, it's embarrassing to admit that like I actually didn't know this really important piece of stalemate line information. But it shows you I never played a game in which that mattered. I would have realized that if it had mattered and, and learned my lesson. So uh, I agree. And I think that to, uh, to really learn diplomacy and to get good at it, understanding the psychological aspects of the game is the key. And human psychology is one of the broadest topics that there is really. And uh, a reason why I love diplomacy so much is that there's no limit to how good you can get at this game. You could play it for your whole life and say, mm, if I had another lifetime to live, I could be that much better. Yeah, I remember something you said, actually, I don't think it was very long ago, but you were talking with someone about the options available in different types of gaming. And I, I can't remember the exact context, but basically you said the press was unlimited, the, the ways that it could work out because of the nature of of the human player and the, dynam the dynamism to, human, to a human. It can go any any sort of way, and I think about it all the time, especially with alliance arrangements and what is what is conventionally supposed to work and what is not. So, I agree. And so we we've got here today 
a list of topics that we want to talk about that are related to psychology and how uh, how you can use psychological influence to overcome the simple tactical stuff in the game. And we've uh, written down a lot of ideas that we have about how players can do this well. Let's go through. Let's go through some of these ideas and, and discuss them. Yeah, absolutely. How, how diplomacy can, in a, in a sense, trump board movement, that there's a certain level of board skill you can achieve. And as long as you can maintain that, I want to say, minimum level of, of skill, you can do quite a bit just by your, uh, your grasp of psychology to beat the player and uh, not, not even have to trump the play, if you will. For, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me, I, when, I was, when I begin a game, I mean, I'm always trying to draw out what's going on from the get-go. Um, and so I'm a very active press player. I mean, I'm always the kind of guy who, if I'm Turkey, I'll message England. If I'm England, I'll message Turkey. It's just, it, it's not something that necessarily at the outset seems to matter much, but if you can begin to develop an understanding of, of, of another player's um, interest in conversation, the, the orientation of, of what, they're, what they're doing, then that's, that's critical. So um, drawing out the player for me, and we'll get more into this as we go. I think that is the absolute most critical and you know beginning part of the, the process. Obviously, it takes two to tango, right? My uh, theoretical framework for this process is, is something that I call modeling the mind of the other player, where you want to have in your brain a little miniature version of the other six players and your assessment of how they think. And what they tell you in their press is evidence of what they think, but it is not themselves the thoughts. And so to understand uh, what a player is really thinking is quite difficult because they have a huge incentive to obscure <laughs> their, their true thoughts. And so I rely on this mental model where I say, hmm, this player seems rather cautious, they're methodical. This is, they want to be allied to Russia. And then that's what I think. And I look for some evidence that may confirm or disconfirm my current understanding of the player. Hmm, I thought this player was very methodical, but they, this, these moves don't really make sense. Were they, did they make a mistake or are, are they faking that they're stupid? You know, what, what is the explanation here? Yeah. Trying to suss out the, you know, the, the reality of what they say or the reality of what they intend or, or any of those things is, is part of it for i mean i think in the earliest stages though like for me it's, it's more about trying to get an idea of some other things exactly because like you haven't got to that point yet, right like i mean i, I want to learn things in 1901 some of them won't be true some of them will be true but like i want to start learning things right away one of my favorite things is to get somebody trying to explain something to me or explain themselves if they can begin to try to explain themselves then that tells me they might just want me to like understand them awesome. and that that could be really useful go, down the road i mean it, that person could be given to offense they could be given to like looking for um, confirmation it, there's lots of little things that can be tied up in that i mean i mean in my experience that can even apply to, to a good player because I, I think some of the time some of the time we think that if you get good you're not that manipulable but just trying to get a get a grasp on that can be really uh i don't know you, you can get those hints early on right of what someone's like and the advanced players understand that it's advantageous to give your rivals a sense that you can be manipulated and to give in to a certain amount of manipulation so that they consider you reliable. Then 
when the time comes, you know, to, to go for the solo and, or whatever you, you, the, the, the veil comes down and you are no longer feigning that you can be manipulated or, or whatever the case may be. I, I think that on this part of on the communication style, something that I try to suss out uh, in online games that go over a long time is um, how frequently does the person check the game? You know, are they responding to messages right away? Okay, this is maybe they're really excited to play or dedicated, or it's a really long time, small number of messages. Maybe they're concentrating on talking to other players. Maybe they're phoning it in, so to speak. I, I feel like that helps. And I also want to know about their style in terms of how they talk about the game, that there are players who they reference a lot of historical stuff. There are a lot of players who begin the game talking about like the historical names of leaders and like, almost like it's a role-playing game. And um, that that's common enough that I feel like it tells you something about the player, that they have played diplomacy enough to even think to talk this way or to make those references or they have a historical interest in the game. Those are players who you can sometimes charm them by responding in kind and saying, hey, Hey, old dear Kaiser, <laughs> or whatever. It's something that's worth that's worth doing. Sometimes I think that um, if you see if you can um, mirror back some of the style that you're seeing from the other player, if they're to the point, and so are you. If they're want to talk about their favorite beer, oh sure, I'll talk about that too. It can go some ways into seeming um, approachable. I've heard that like it, it's good to if someone sends you a, a fairly long message, just send them a message that's either of equal length or shorter, just to try to draw out more, right? Because if you give them a little bit to go on there, he sends you a lot, and you just and then they'll just they'll just start pouring into you, and that in a sense isn't really matching so much as it's like it, it's just you're kind of giving them a reason to keep talking, but not really giving them anything to go on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Another thing I always look for early on is like, is if someone, and this this seems like an easy one, but I think all too often with me, especially because I'm I'm a relatively new player, like I see people who are who seem to be even newer than me that will propose things that are not mutually beneficial. They'll just ask for things, and I think that's so interesting that people just think they're going to get things, and I'm like, I don't know what you're doing here, but like you're basically telling me that that I should just help you, and I and I've never played you before. I don't know you. I don't, you know, you're not offering anything to me. And I like, I, I think I should probably be cautious around this person. No matter how nicely it is that they ask for it, you know, it may indicate that they're small minded. It may indicate that they're self-centered. It doesn't matter what it indicates. Just as indicating anything good, good to me when someone just asks for something right off the bat. So that's something I look out for initially. I think that the, in, in this regard, to not be such a player yourself, a really important talent of psychology is empathy to be able to think through the situation from the other person's point of view and this comes up in diplomacy quite a lot actually i've I've tutored a lot of players in my time i've taught players who were who were just beginners i've taught players who were advanced and um since i'm looking maybe i'm looking at a game board where they're asking for some advice or what they did wrong and they'll describe the whole situation from their own point of view. And I say, okay, but just imagine that you weren't England, though. Imagine that you were Germany. What would you be thinking? 
And all of a sudden, oh, actually, okay, I see now why these fleets were so threatening. And now I see why the once once you enter into the mind of the other player and how they might see things um, and not your own focused point of view, then it makes it a lot easier to negotiate and meet somebody halfway. You appreciate what they're thinking. And a player who doesn't do this, the kind that you're talking about, they seem to have no empathy. All right? I, I, I understand why you want your army there, but I don't want your army there. <laughs> don't you understand this? <laughs> In diplomacy, it's just a game. There's no stakes most of the time. I mean, other than bragging rights, I guess. Uh, even in pretty serious tournaments, nobody bets money or anything, like, at least not that I that I know of. And so the other players really have nothing to go on but just your personality and how you present yourself and what they think will, will lead them to have a good game, whether that's going to be a fun game or give them a, a chance of winning, which they perceive as fun. Ultimately, that's what's motivating them is they're playing the game because there's some aspect of it they enjoy. And even if you've been frustrated and you can't sleep at night and all kinds of things that can happen, somehow somehow that still counts as, as part of the fun. Uh, the frustration and so on is, is part of it. And I think that because diplomacy is a game, that it gives the players an opportunity to really think very purely about psychology and human nature. There's not... Um, anything else i guess adding noise to the situation it's not like this i i can't i can't threaten this guy there's no money involved it's just what what can i say what words might make this guy issue the support or hold order that i want him to do i i love that aspect yeah it, it's it's candy for my mind but it's also it's also an opportunity to do things I would not do in real life. Um, I'm really <laughs> pretty. I'm really. I'm really pretty good to my friends, um, and I think most of them trust me <laughs> because of that. I, I have. I, I rarely make a good friend that you know is not is not always a good friend. You know, for for life. But I don't do that in diplomacy. Um, <laughs> diplomacy is not like that, and it's great for them. I guess I I rationalize uh, the lying and the backstabbing that can go on in diplomacy. Not not that I think that a player should be doing that very often, but it does happen during the course of the game as part of the fun. As part of the fun. There's not a lot of times when like, hey, you know, me and my friends and we're all going to like lie through our teeth and see what happens. And, and like just to see that side of somebody or see what their skills of, of that are or to put your own to the test in a way that that we've all we've all agreed this is for fun so it's not it's not real right uh you get to learn a lot and experience things that are that are different there's a lot of bs that goes back and forth in diplomacy for sure <laughs> but yeah I, I i just want a second to think about lying real quick though yeah i, I tried not to be dishonest and, and stab people very much in diplomacy i'd rather lead them astray and i think that's a lot of what, what's going on here is that you're trying to lead someone astray from natural instinct or a like honed skill you're trying because if you just you know what if you want to if you want to really get something that's a level or try try your own psychology um and then also obviously you can't trash your currency by being a liar and a stabber all the time I, my first game i was turkey and i stabbed Austria for a single supply center because I thought this was cool and this is how you win. And it screwed my whole game because the guy just wouldn't work with me. He was, a, he was at a grudge against me the rest of the time. And I was like, oh, this is, 
this isn't just a game where you rip people off. <laughs> I even look for that from other players where if someone's willing to stab me over just one supply center, I estimate mm, this is a player who really cannot be trusted because that's the smallest amount of trust really is to trust someone not to take my one supply center. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah I think it was you at some point, not that long ago was talking about, you know, you're not playing this game to just take supply centers. If you think that you're just doing this to get numbers, like people watch the numbers. <laughs> you're just going to lose at some point once your numbers get away from others or, or something like that. So, or your numbers are only coming from like two or three of your neighbors at the same time. It's like, well, he hates everybody. <laughs> I liked your point in the outline about trying to ask questions and seeing whether the other player is inquisitive about you or whether they're only passively responding to your talking points. I think that's very useful information because a, a passive player in the beginning of the match is likely fixing to attack you. And they're not wasting their time building up the relationship that they think is probably not a priority. Yeah, my favorite thing is is when they answer half my questions. Because it's just like, you should have just answered none of them. <laughs> because at this, at this point, I'm pretty sure that you're, that you know, like, especially, I mean, I guess even, even more so if it's like the second question or something that, that they answer and not the first question. Because it's clear that there's something there's something that they need to keep hold of, some, something information-wise, and they're not willing to tell you that, but they're willing to tell you this. And you're like, well, what, what is it that you're planning? And, and you may not actually be anything, which is the funny thing. I, I definitely don't want to go down the path in this discussion of, you know, the mind reader thing, right, where you know what the other player is thinking, but, like, they're, they're bad indicators. Like you're saying, like, the person's probably – if they're not planning to attack you now – they're they're thinking about how to talk to you carefully, you know, in a way that that leaves things out or shapes things. And it, this is only like you know, again, this could be like this is probably 1901 because, uh, as I said before, I like to start my diplomacy early and with everyone. I think that uh, as a as a way to communicate to communicate ambiguously without setting off alarm bells in the other players is to be clear about what you're telling them and what you're not telling them. To say something like, listen, I'm France. I promise I won't move any army to Burgundy. Beyond that, I'm not telling you my moves. But I can promise you I'm not moving an army to Burgundy. And that doesn't come across. It comes a little cagey, but not like, what is he planning? No, no, no. Okay, this is a player who said something that was useful, but I can understand why a player wouldn't want to reveal all their moves to me, that seems reasonable. I think that's a way to counteract that from, from, from your own press perspective. If you don't really want to tell a player everything, tell them what you are willing to say and then explicitly say, and I'm withholding the rest on purpose because I, I feel it's advantageous for me not to say more. Well, a lot of diplomacy players will respect that. It's a, yeah, they always do because they're, because a diplomacy player is looking for someone who either says nothing because that person is possibly an enemy or someone that says way too much because that person is a mark to be taken advantage of. But when someone just comes to you and they said, out of prudence, here's what I can tell you. You're like, you know what? I respect that, right? <laughs> like, I can possibly work with you. You understand that it's smart to, to say something, but dumb to say too much. It's a good sign, right? I, actually, I don't think we completed the point previous point that you were like, is it maybe a complete, but I wanted to add something to the ask their own questions because to me, a player that responds to your message 
and maybe your message is, is, is pretty pretty empty, so it's, it's this wouldn't count for that. But let's just say you send a vigorous message and you want to talk about a bigger, maybe an operational level picture. You're like, hey, I'm I'm France, and I'd like to keep the I'd like to keep the channel clear, and let's let's look to the east. You know, which which could be in, in my in my view like the operational level of thinking. But they the response to that is is not energetic. I think energy is, is another key part of this. That's another player's communication. It doesn't matter what the response is about to, to some degree. I mean, let's see, say something really crude, which I've seen before, strangely enough, but as long as they respond and they respond with some level of energy, that, that again is an indicator of a lot of things like, will this person follow through an alliance? You know, will this person hang on even if things don't look good? Um, can this person basically be counted on to be, to be an active player in the game? and really be somebody that's either a threat or, or a strong partner. But I, I think energy is another key factor in drawing out. When it comes to your early negotiations, I have, I have thought a lot recently, and I, I don't have a complete opinion on this, but it's something I've been thinking about more and more, is there are, there are these certain initial tactical negotiations that exist in the game from the beginning. And I was reminded of this when you said, hey, we're like, what are we going to do about the English Channel or, or Black Sea or Galicia? certain positions that you just have to talk about at the beginning and how some players will approach those negotiations by starting from the tactical perspective. And some players will approach by coming at it from the strategic perspective where maybe I'm Turkey and I talk to Russia and I say, Hey, we got to bounce in black sea, right? That's what I want to do. I want to arrange it, et cetera. Or Russia, I want to be your ally. And if we are allies, what will we do approaching it from the strategic perspective? And there are times when it's advantageous, I think, to look at it transactionally and be like, well, we don't have to make up our minds about whether we're allies or not, but we can both agree we're going to bounce in Galicia. You know, we'll just we'll just do that. Or we can both agree that we're going to not bounce in Galicia, but no, no, nothing further beyond that versus the right time to say, hey, let's be allies. Let's figure that out. Yes, we have a plan, whatever. Okay, now to further that plan, Let's talk about the tactics that we're going to have to do. I played playing diplomacy, and I've seen players approach these negotiations both ways. And I've approached them both ways, and I, I'm not sure what, uh, how, how to mm, get my mind around it and say, and with this kind of player, this is how to approach the situation. Or with this mm. relationship between these two powers, I think this is the better way to approach the situation. But it's something that's come come into my mind a lot recently. For me, I find that, you know, I don't want to propose too much because I don't really know what's going on with this person yet. But I want to propose enough to get some context to what to what I'm asking to go on. That, w- that way, I, we can maybe have a conversation. I can get a sense that this person, you know, may, is, is actually liking to work together, but does recognize that, tr- that strategically we don't have much to talk about yet because we have no relationship. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's a lot about an operational perspective at the beginning. That's how I try to, to hone my initial communications is from that limited point of view, but still bigger than just um, individual moves. That makes sense. That's a very reasonable approach, I think. I, I'm often um, skeptical of players who propose um, an alliance from the beginning, like an alliance that's going to be played all the way out to the end, like Juggernaut. And not because I don't think those exist. I've seen players do it. I have, and I have agreed to alliances in spring 1901 that I played to the end and I had every intention of doing so, but I'm just so skeptical 
because talk is cheap. And there are players who will say like anything just to get away with a 1901 backstab to get the slightest tactical advantage. And I think that um, I rarely do that myself. I, I've come to think that that's not a very good approach to spend so much energy just to get a tiny little advantage and burn a bridge. But there's a lot of old written guides out there that encourage players to do this that say things like, do whatever it takes to trick the other player into not bouncing in Black Sea. You'll never regret it. And like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I think that um, it's a good idea to keep your options open in the spring 1901 because precisely because players lie a lot or like the talk is so cheap. And you may find out, oh, shoot. My first choice for ally was not interested, and my second choice for ally just got attacked and is not going to be helping me. Maybe my third choice for ally, this player who I didn't really like, uh, I'm going to go with them now, though, because of how the situation unfolded. I guess returning back to your point about spending effort to work on every player, that's when that kind of approach really pays off, when the situation doesn't play out like you had originally hoped. No problem. I've got backups to my backups, man. I, I, I've got a relationship with every player on this board. I can pivot and respond to the situation. Yeah, and that's the, yeah, that's the point I definitely wanted to get into as we go on is the idea of diplomatic encirclement. Um, you can't ever there, – there's no, there's no sense in not talking to everyone at some level. Again, even, even Turkey and England. Because, I mean, it may, it may begin as an intelligence-sharing relationship where you can kind of – you know, give some information, most of it true here and there, maybe some of it a little less so, but like not lying, but like you can give information and give someone an advantage. And as, as you de- develop that, like the gap closes, right? Like as players go out of the game, the gap closes and, and it becomes relevant um, depending on, uh, on, on how the things turn out. So like you can't, you can't start playing the groundwork too early there. I, I think, it, I think staying at the operational level with these, with these kinds of communications, but getting to that level, I mean, it smooths it out a little bit. I, I think for me, I just, this is me personally, for sure. I, I don't, I don't really, I'm not really interested in your tactical suggestions from the outset if there's no context, but at the same time, I just don't trust you. If you, if you, if you say you want to be my buddy till the end, I'm like, you could be a care bear, but you may not be. Um, you're certainly trying to be one. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and the other thing about operations is, is that I find that, strategy gets lost quickly right because there's that famous maximum about going into war and like the first thing that goes out the window is, is, is that kind of high level thinking about how this was all going to play out from a big picture point of view because you've just met the enemy and tactics doesn't really give someone i mean it's like feeding someone like breadcrumbs just to keep them alive but if you give someone an operational point of view on like what you want to do you give them something that's big enough for them to kind of like get into and like believe in but at the same time it's small enough that you can you can you can easily jump out of it and like they and they don't see the credibility is necessarily on, on the line if the you know if the operation doesn't have to be aborted or doesn't doesn't work out on the, on the right timeline because of of exigencies like let's say that you're you're turkey and you want to work with italy but austria and russia seem to be together that, that may complicate how, how you handle it because italy isn't going to want to attack austria and see you join up with russia against against austria and then and then eventually he'll get rolled over too so like you have to you have to allow enough wiggle room at the outset for how things develop 
Um, and that's the, again, that's where, that's where I, where I really like talking about operations because I don't think, I think that they're big, they're big enough picture to pull people in, but not, but not so tight as to keep people kind of, I don't know, in suspense the whole time <laughs> and not trusting you. That makes sense. That's a very inter- that's an interesting theoretical distinction that I have not applied to my own thinking. Yeah, I've, I've just fully developed it over time. Um, it, it helps me. Like you talked about um, in one of your articles, you talked about um, getting to a person's strategy, and you had three levels. That got me kind of thinking about that that idea. I mean, it, it, you didn't talk about it as tactics and operations and strategy. That got me because those are the those are the kind of the levels of warfare that I. I'm familiar. I'm a reservist in the military, so like I often think about things from like a martial point of view to organize them. So very interesting. I really appreciate your sharing that idea with me. Yeah, of course. This episode was made possible by the generous support of people like you. For more information, visit patreon.com slash brotherboard. You can learn more from your board brother at brotherboard.com. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe, share, and review. Thanks to Loyalty Freak Music for the theme music, It Feels Good to Be Alive too.